Hey geeks, welcome to CNR Geek Out. I'm Robin and joining me today is my wonderful co-host Carl. Carl, how are you today? Doing good, doing pretty good. All right, well, uh, what are we going to talk about today? It's our first episode. We are going to talk about tabletop gaming, specifically around role-playing games like Dungeons and & Dragons and Pathfinder. Oh, I like that. I yeah. like that very much. I was going to say, you're more of a Pathfinder guy, and I'm more of a Dungeons & Dragons guy. Granted, my introduction to Dungeons & Dragons actually came from 5th edition. What about, okay, yeah. How'd you get into Pathfinder? So I got into Pathfinder back in college. Um, I'd always wanted to play D&D and never had. Um, I'd flipped through the books when I'd seen them at the bookstore and didn't understand them at all, but I thought they were cool. Um, and uh, we, we met this guy in our group uh, back in, somewhere in 2008. And uh, he was a longtime DM and had wanted to start a group at the college. So I, I said, yeah, sign me up. Uh, there was a girl that I was, I was into at the time who was, who was a part of that. And so I thought, good time to hang out with her and also learn this game I've always wanted to play. And uh, we were playing uh, 3.5. And this was right after 4th edition had come out, or, or relative, within that, that time frame. 4th edition was kind of the new thing. And... Uh, Everyone who was an experienced D&D player in that group was just venomously opposed to whatever the horror that 4th edition was. And I've, to this day, never played 4th edition. Um, but uh, anyways, as the natural progression goes, um, you know, played so much 3.5, you know, looked up all these source books online and, you know, found them in weird used bookstores and hobby shops and that kind of thing. Uh, until I discovered Pathfinder. And Pathfinder is really like 3.52 because it uses the, the D20 system popularized by third edition, but it also did a lot of streamlining. It did a lot of changes to the classes for balance. Um, one of, the, one of the, the big things it did, I thought, was, was really give classes a lot of unique identity. And, uh, and so that's, that's what I ended up playing. I, I bought almost all of these source books um, for, for Pathfinder. I have, I think, three different complete campaigns of Pathfinder material and just, you know, as much as I could get a hold of. I, I love Pathfinder. So uh, when, what about you? When did you start playing 5th edition? So I started playing 5th edition probably a year after fifth edition had been released. Um, so I, similar to you, I've known about Dungeons and Dragons. I've always wanted to play it, but never really had a group around me growing up to play it. Um, and then one day I'm watching uh, Geek and Sundry and there was a show called Tales of Valkana at the time. And then they it promoted their other RPG show, Critical Role, which uh, mm -hmm. anyone who's a fan of a tabletop RPG has at least probably heard of Critical Role at this point. Um, but I remember watching them and, you know, my expectation is that, oh, they're all a bunch of nerdy voice actors. I'm expecting them to be really invested in their characters where if, when I started my first game, I wasn't expecting that, that same level. Me, we weren't voice actors. I tried to do a voice, but I'm like, I'll do a voice when it feels right. But it wasn't like an always kind of do thing. Um, so the first time I played fifth edition though, was probably three and a half years ago now I think um, and I remember me and my friends we were sitting at a table and I went one night and we're like 
we really want to play Dungeons and Dragons, but we don't know anyone who wants to DM. And there's like eight of us. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> well, I've, I kind of went out of the way already to get the Dungeon Master's Guide <laughs> because of Critical Role. <laughs> I was like, as I was watching the show, I just kept getting Dungeons and Dragons materials for some reason. I'm like, I'm clearly going to invest my time into this. So right. I, I DM the first time. Um, so I was a DM the first time not being a player, which was a little fumbly as so, most first DMs go. <laughs> so you, you DM'd a, a virgin D&D game with, where nobody had experience before? Yes. Nice. Including that's, the Dungeon that's, Master. No one had experience. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty unique. Usually there's, you know, I've, I've run some games like that where I was, you know, I would teach a group how to play. Uh, with me being the only person with experience but uh that's you know the good thing about that is though is that you can just you know if you mess up i mean nobody else knows it's just <laughs> it's just you you know you can just lie about it and just be like yeah that's the rules deal with it I'm you know I, I wish it went that way i mean it, it was still fun uh we ended up one of my friends printed off some pre uh, source material uh, it was like a simple there's like a cult the raising zombies and this at like this moat village town <laughs> And the very first thing that happens is they're crossing across the moat and a zombie reaches out to try to drag someone into the water. It's a low DC. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a low, uh, low skill check. So they just had to get a 10. That's it. They just had to get a 10. <laughs> well, the one player who was the one who said, I was going to look over the edge of the boat, rolled a one, the very first roll of the night. And so I'm like, well, you get dragged underwater by a zombie. Really kicked off the critical failure of the night, huh? Yeah. Um, and we were, we were questioning, what, how, do under, how does underwater combat work? I'm like, I tried to look for it. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to ignore any of the current underwater rules because I know what the baseline rules are. We're just going to deal with that. So I was like, oh, man. underwater rules out the window. That's... Yeah, that's 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 always how it goes. Is is whatever you don't expect to happen, and and you don't ex you know, it's like, oh, why would I need to learn this? It's going to be the very first thing that you have to do. I technically should have killed one of the players that it during that encounter because the first roll I made behind the screen was technically a crit, <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't think for everyone's literal first game, I don't want to give the impression that I'm rolling really well tonight right now and that I'm just going to kill everyone because I'm rolling good. Well, so that's, that's the kind of the neat thing about Dungeons and Dragons though, is, is right at the beginning of the Dungeon Master's Guide, it tells you that the rules are up to DM interpretation that the, mm -hmm. the DM can is, is literally God in this world and his will be done. Uh, if if you say a roll wasn't a crit, it wasn't a crit. If you, you know, if your player says, you know, oh, like, you know, I, I do this much damage to the big bad evil guy, then, and you don't want him to die in one turn, well, his health pool just doubled. You know, you can do whatever you want. And uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, I'm curious. Uh, both of us have, we've DM'd a lot. Um, I, I do have experience with fifth edition, uh, just not nearly as much as I have with Pathfinder. Um, I think I think fifth edition has a lot of merits to it, to its gameplay. Um, what I do not have any experience with is Pathfinder 2, which is uh, relatively recent as of this year. And uh, I have the books, uh, I don't, so I don't have an excuse other than I haven't played a game since COVID-19 started. And so I haven't 
really been driven to learn about the game. Um, but uh, that, that is something I want to do. And maybe we can have a follow-up episode uh, where maybe both of us can really read through Pathfinder 2 and kind of give our take on it. Yeah, uh, I've, I've done my glances at it. And I'm like, I'm confused right now. I need to take a moment back. <laughs> yeah, I've heard good things uh, from some people I trust a lot in the scene. So I'm, I'm excited to. Yeah, I like the ideas behind it. Yeah. Um, so uh, when it comes to uh, DMing and, and philosophy, the, the philosophy that I've always adopted is that your job as a DM is not to beat the players. Your, your job is to facilitate a fun experience. Now, that, and that phrase is, is really subjective just based on who you're working with. I mean, if you're working with, you know, uh, you know four people who are very into RP and very, very driven at, at seriousness and taking everything very seriously and playing kind of, for lack of a better term, on hard mode where, you know, they don't want you to pull a punch, you know, they, they want the challenge. Or, you know, a group of friends just kind of, you know, laughing and, and starting fights in the in the tavern and being kind of murder hobo-y, uh, which is when your party is just, they don't live anywhere. They just roam around murdering and being hobos. Um, then, you know, you have to DM very differently. And so a lot of a DM's job is, in, in my philosophy, is, is figuring out kind of that balance point between giving them a fun time and challenging them. Yeah. Um, what do you think? What, what, what do you approach it with? So I agree that it should be a, a fun time. Um, so a lot of my friends that I've DM'd for have, each of them are just uniquely individual players. Like one's really big on create, you know, giving out his own dialogue. Some are very just, generics like i want to try to persuade this individual uh all right just give me a guideline of what you're trying to persuade them on and then or i'm going to sneak the moment that there's combat uh i want to be able to have you know a first type of reaction um so gauging the different uh levels of kind of uh, engagement that the players have themselves are are they more tactical so they're focused more on combat related items are they more uh environmental so they're more about the experience and the portrayal that their um their character is going through and them as a player is going through so i agree as a a dungeon master and i I typically like to call myself a a game master because i'll also do kind of moderating for other games not just tabletop rpgs but um, other role-playing style uh, games such as like Mansions of Madness and uh, other relatable games where you take the role of a specific character. Okay. Um, but make sure that, you know, uh, if they have any questions, hey, I can easily find a quick, you know, rule that everyone should uh, follow by um, for everyone and then help translate that and then make sure that everyone's get, at least getting the most out of their experience. Um, I know I've read the Dungeons and Dragons source ma- uh, base materials like Player's Handbook. Um, dozens of times where if a player is getting ready to do an action, but they're struggling to figure out what they're going to do on their turn, I'll be like, well, you're a ranger <laughs> and you have this feat that lets you hit a lot of guys with one, with one attack. And they're like, Oh shoot. Yeah, I can do that. It's like, yeah, go with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so sometimes, sometimes I'll try to net uh, egg them onto something that's just, that seems really cool about their character that they just completely forgot about. Cause there's just, you know, there can be a lot to read um, and keep sure. track of. Sure. Um, 
how do you how do you handle speed at your table um you know it you said that you know it was you and eight friends i don't know if you played with eight people not at um, once no. <laughs> you know and 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 i have i've i run a game with i believe we had 11 players and it involved me dming and i had a co-dm who we would kind of split the table in half almost and when whenever it came to combat and the codium would would start kind of halfway around the table and uh would you know i'd go around my side and he'd go around his and we'd figure out everyone's actions and then it would all happen okay um and uh i will never do that again it was a nightmare um but one thing that i think especially players who are newer to the game will will often find that you know they're playing this game and and you know fighting two goblins is going to take 15 minutes uh because of various reasons and i'm curious what you what you see and how you how you try to handle that yeah so the most i've had at a table at once was seven um, and that was actually the very first game i dm so what i learned from that experience was that was, was that seven plus you seven plus me okay um so one dm seven players and what what i don't, learned from that don't look that up guys don't don't google that <laughs> what i learned from that experience was one of the things that, uh, i want to make sure that my players are familiar with are just what actions you can do in combat um in dungeons and dragons you got you know everyone has a move you can move that's not one of your actions that's just one of your things you can do um, but then your actions are you can dash so you can move again you can disengage make it where you can move away from an opponent without provoking an attack of opportunity you can evade or dodge i think is what it's called so you give the enemies disadvantage on your their next attack against you um, you can just straight up attack you can cast a spell which is in replacement of your one action or bonus action and it usually just tells you on the spell and so First thing I learned was, okay, I want to make sure everyone's comfortable with how combat works. Um, from there, when it, what help, has helped me with some uh, kind of getting speed, if I have like six or more players, um, is I will start uh, in a way pressuring them in a way. I, if I had like an hour, like a 10 second hourglass, I would just flip that over and be like, you got this much time left to make an action. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll let them know, it's like, okay, uh, I'll, your turn's taking a while. What's the first thing that comes to mind that you're going to do? Uh, kind of just put them on the spot. What's the first thing that just comes to mind? You want to shoot them? All right. We'll use basic attack or I'll let you think, pick a spell if you're a spellcaster. Um, so I try to put a little bit of pressure on them. If it drags on probably about for each everyone's turn about like 20, 25 seconds. Uh, it's getting to that 30 second mark. Um, don't want everyone to take like a full minute. It doesn't sound like a long time, but a minute actually is a long time to just think about what you're going to do. Um, especially yeah. when you have six players where you have six other players and X amount of monsters to think about what's going on. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, that was one of the things that I've done in many of my campaigns, uh, but ranging between three to six players um, mm -hmm. is about what I play with usually is between three and six. I, I don't go over six anymore. Um, and the, the just having a cell phone timer of, you know, 
when I say, when it comes to your turn, if you're not in the middle of describing what you're doing in within 10 seconds of it going to your turn, mm -hmm. then uh, kind of, you know, and, and this is, again, more with players who have played the game before. I wouldn't do this to someone just figuring it out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, once you've had a few few lessons and, and or not lessons, a few uh, sessions, uh, you know, you should kind of have an idea at least what you want to do by the time it gets to your turn. And so if, if you don't, they're automatically delayed action until the end of the initiative. So that's that's kind of their first punishment is, uh, well, you know, because you were ready, uh, you drop to the last in the initiative order. Um, and that's that stays throughout that whole combat. It, it, you don't get a you don't get it back. Your 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 initiative is just physically delayed down to the end. And then if it comes back around to you and you still aren't aren't ready at the end of this, then uh, you you lose a turn. Um, you know, and and I don't mean you need to have everything out of your mouth within ten seconds. But you know, I say, uh, all right, Carl, uh, it's your turn. You have ten seconds to start saying, you know. Okay, um, I'm gonna cast fireball and then you know go through, you know whatever you know looking at the map and and seeing what which squares are being hit. You know that's fine. That doesn't all need to happen within ten seconds. I just need you to be telling me what you're doing, because especially in a game with five or six players, uh, you know it's it's gonna be a few minutes between your turns anyway, and you know in that time you can pretty easily figure out what you're doing, you can come up with two or three things you can do depending on what the rest of the party does. So, yep. so uh, what, are, what are some of the systems about fifth edition that you really like? I like the, so I, I like how kind of simplified it is basically. You know, you have the D20 role, which kind of encompasses everything that you're gonna do. So you have one dice that will determine if something will succeed or not. And then all your other dice are gonna be supplementary, usually around damage for the most part. Um, you know, with mm -hmm. very few outliers where it's not actually damage, like the sleep spell is just, all right, this is how much HP you can affect basically. Right. Um, so I, I like that simplification, especially trying to get people um, interested in playing a tabletop RPG game. Um, so you don't have to worry about so many different rules. I like how armor class was pretty, streamline or difficulty checks where you have to get the number that that is the armor class or the difficulty check or greater um yeah i've heard stories that people have tried to tell me about thaco <laughs> and i'm like uh what's that and then i get confused after the first few <laughs> points of description I'm like ah you lost me <laughs> uh, so i i like how identifying how you can challenge your players outside of combat by sending that difficulty check. And it has a pretty deep, uh, simple guide on, you know, you, if you want it to be pretty, uh, you know, fairly difficult, but not like impossible, you can aim for like 15, 20 range, depending on what level they are. Um, say it's like, it's a 16 that they need to succeed on. Um, you know, the DM, the gun, dungeon master knows that. They don't know that. They roll the dice and they get it. Awesome. They succeeded a pretty, you know, a hard check. Um, so that's what I really like is that it's, it's easy to, understand and all the uh, outliers of how do I do my damage? How do I do this? You can learn those when the time comes. For the most part, you just we need to find out, do you succeed or not? Um, and get them very comfortable with that. And I think that's the best part. Yeah. Um, what do you, uh, 
What do you think about metagaming? You know, I ha haven't played with that experience of players, so I haven't experienced a metagamer. <laughs> um, but okay, you're very I fortunate. Do, I would say if anyone was a metagamer, it would be me because I've read a lot of the materials a lot at this point. Um, I think metagaming is a, it's more like a challenge back to the DM. Okay, this guy clearly knows the stats of a Banshee. How do I spice this up to where what he thinks he knows is now no longer the truth? Um, and it, it can be just subtle changes uh, to something. Yeah. You know, they're no longer, you know, their weakness is now this instead of this kind of thing. Or mm -hmm. you bumped up its HP and you gave it a, a unique skill. Or I think one thing I like seeing when I watch other uh, podcasts, listen to other podcasts or watch uh, other uh, tabletop RPG shows is sometimes you can just take what's considered a simple monster, like a zombie, and then you make it a legendary creature suddenly. And it's like, yeah, but that's not a lich. Yeah. This is just a legendary zombie. His name is Phil. Good luck. Phil, the legendary zombie. <laughs> um, you know, one of, one of my tricks to dealing with metagamers, we, we played with a guy who was really notoriously bad for this. Um, you know, it, it got to the point, and, and it wasn't even just metagaming. He was also just really bad at fully reading through descriptions. And so he would leave out, you know, kind of selective reading, I guess, of, oh, well, there, there's a drawback to this ability I found in a really obscure third edition book. Oh, uh, I guess I do uh, have a player that's like that. <laughs> and, but he would also metagame a lot. And so what I ended up doing is uh, on, you know, I wouldn't do it on every monster but on on significant monsters every turn behind my dm screen i'd roll a d4 one and two meant its ac went up by one or two three or four meant it went down by one or two so it was every turn you know it, it would go up a little bit or down a little bit and you know and i could apply that to the, its saves or you know whatever else i wanted it to its attack rolls um and I never said anything about it, um, but they, you know, they eventually noticed it was like, well, you know, they'd say, okay, I hit it. And I was like, no, you didn't. And they'd say, well, it's 16 hit it. And I hit it with a 16 two turns ago. And I said, yeah, but it doesn't hit it this time. Why not? Because it doesn't, I'm the DM. Just, you know, trust me, you know, I'm, I'm not decide. you know, it doesn't hit this turn, it might next turn. And I, I think that, that that effect is pretty neat. You can also use it in ways to, uh, there's so much you can do with dice. You know, you can, I like to reward role play, good, really good role play. Mm -hmm. um, I like to, and I like to do it kind of subtly without, you know, just giving a player a crit or an inspiration dice if I'm playing fifth edition or something. Um, you know, if someone role plays their character, what I think is, is, is good role play, I might, you know, I might roll a D6 and add that to their damage for a turn, but with, I, don't, I don't tell them. I might describe that. I might describe it as you know this thing. Re, you know, you crush through this this monster's defenses and and just take it to task. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I I that's one of the things I like about being the DM is really being able to control the the fun and pace of the game. And you know you you never want you never want someone to have a bad time. And so that's kind of where where it can be it can be difficult if a like a player death happens yeah and 
but but at the same time it has to be able to happen like you know it, it's the kind of thing where like if you crit three times in a row and it's a legitimate crit three times in a row like yeah i'll probably fudge that so it doesn't crit three times in a row because that's not fun there's no there's nothing the player didn't play wrong you know but if it's like the player is clearly flirting with danger and like not paying attention to the the damage output or to something I described in the room that very well might be a trap or something, then you know, player death is a part of the game. And uh, have you had have you had much issue with that? No, not me personally. I think the highs. So a, a lot of the players that I've worked with have been relatively new to tabletop RPG. So I usually start them at lower levels, level one, two, maybe three. Um, and I usually don't want to, and this is just my personal rule. I usually don't want to have the capability of a player death at a level that's like three, maybe even four or less. Um, Cause you're really starting to get into the identity of your character, whether it's the identity of the class that you've picked because at level three in, in fifth edition, that's when all the classes have their archetypes. Some of them get them at level one, some of them get at level two, but for the most part at level three, whatever class you are, you have an archetype. You're going to start building into that at that point. Um, and then level four is kind of like that first taste of, you know, I'm going to improve myself as an, as a character, not based on my class. Usually you usually get your ability improvements. You can get a feat that defines your character. You can, Oh, I've been doing some muscle training. So I got some extra strength. Um, or I read some books, I got a little smarter. And once they hit that point, so once they hit that level four mark, that's probably when I'll not fudge as many uh, roles. Um, again, like you said, if they're flirting with dangers, like they're feeling their character, they're the barbarians, like I can take a lot of damage and I'm going to rage and just kill that guy before he kills me. If my guy crits three times in a row in that situation, then it's like, yeah. um, First off, you got to stop using reckless attack because <laughs> you're giving me advantage. <laughs> and second, you were asking for this, so yep, you don't have a diamond on you. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I I agree. Um, I'll usually, if a player character dies in the early levels, I'll I'll usually you know have you know I I might tell them their character dies, but that like you know there's there's i'll come up with a reason for them their character to be okay like to come back relatively quickly without a, an experience penalty and um because i agree you know you, you kind of want to get your legs under you before you just you know kill someone especially those early levels where like a goblin can just kill a wizard with like an arrow crit and you're like well that poor sorry HP wizard <laughs> yeah no kidding it's brutal um all right, I want to talk a little bit about Pathfinder and, yeah. and what I like about about the system. Um, so Pathfinder is definitely a little more in the weeds than 5th edition. 5th uh, edition did so well streamlining the combat that I, I cannot praise them enough for streamlining it and making it quick. And the, the, the way they reworked actions worked, worked really well. Um, it was it was like the next step from what Pathfinder did to 3.5, where Pathfinder streamlined a lot of things. You know, in, in 3.5, you had completely different checks for grappling or disarming or tripping. All these combat actions got rolled into combat maneuvers in Pathfinder, which was a single check. You had combat maneuver check and combat maneuver defense. So basically, under your AC, you had your combat maneuver defense, which was how good you were at defending against someone trying to, you know, 
either tackle you, bull rush you, trip you, disarm you in combat, and you had a modifier for it that you would add to an attack roll, like an attack, to do any of those things. Um, and so that, you know, that made that really simple. Um, but you still had the whole thing of you have a, a standard action, um, a full round action, uh, you know, a, a quick action, all these, all these different things in Pathfinder that are fine. I, I don't, I don't have a problem with them. It was what I learned, but it just, it made it so much simpler. Um, in, in fifth edition. Uh, but for me, the reason, the reason I keep going back to Pathfinder after having played fifth edition and really enjoyed it, I played several campaign settings in there, several original campaigns too, um, is the character creation in Pathfinder is so vast. You know, they have dozens of class specific archetypes for every class and they have a lot of classes. Um, you know, they came out with a book called the Advanced Class Guide where they took two features of different classes and put them on the same class. So you have something like a ranger that also gets sneak attack or a fighter that gets monks unarmed damage and fighter feats. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's great. It's called a brawler. And one of its many archetypes is shield champion where you get to be Captain America where you have a shield that you throw, it ricochets between enemies and eventually returns to you. <laughs> and it, so, and, and I mean, there are so many classes and, you know, I, I think fifth edition, that was the biggest thing fifth edition changed from many of its previous editions was uh, really diving into the, you know, it kind of borrowed the archetype idea from Pathfinder. Um, and I think it did a good job. Uh, you know, it, it simplified feats. So, you know, feats in Pathfinder and 3.5 are really a, what's the word, like cumbersome? Like you just, there are so many feats that are just like, you just take them because you need to, to get to the next feat. And it's not okay. fun. Like yeah. it's like a feat, the feat tax. It's you like know? a skill like, tree. Yeah. If like, if, if you're going to play any ranged character, you need to take point blank shot, range shot or precise shot and uh, sniper or something like that. I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, there, there's like, there are three feats you need to take in order to fire into melee combat without risking shooting your friend. And so it's just like your oh, first, yeah. your first like feats you're taking have to be those. And that's just not fun. Like it, it it's not fun when there's mandatory feats. Um, so I thought it was, it was a very good, there are some very good changes with fifth edition, but but man, like, you know, in Pathfinder, I can make a bard that has a magical deck of cards as his arcane bounded weapon that re that recovers the cards, like, you know, over time, they just regenerate because it's a magic weapon that heals itself. And he can throw them as lethal darts. And that's so cool. And it's mm -hmm. like, and it's, and it's not fudging any feats either. Like these are all things that are, are legitimately in the game. Like the, the feat deadly dealer, which lets you throw cards as weapons. Uh, there's a, the, the arcane duelist archetype of bard, which lets you bond a magical weapon as though you were a wizard. And so you bond a de magical deck of cards that you can now use as a lethal weapon and then just be gambit and throw exploding cards at people. Um, 
It's and the dream. It, it is. It's, you know, Pathfinder lets you get away with so much craziness, um, all while being relatively balanced. I mean, obviously, you know, you have the same thing where melee characters are strong early and then a wizard and a cleric are just going to like blow everyone away later on. I, I've had one, uh, one friend tell me that the way it's balanced is that at a certain point, every archetype is broken at a certain, at a different yeah. point of the game. No, like, yeah, they're all that's, just that's equally a good broken. way to say it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all the archetypes, you know, I mean, obviously there are some that really aren't, but like every class I feel like has the potential to be broken when used with the right feet and the right group, mm-hmm. but at different points in the game. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, one of my favorites to do was, uh, there is a rogue that you can, and so a neat thing in Pathfinder that you can't do in fifth edition. In Pathfinder, you can actually take multiple archetypes as long as they're re- what they're replacing didn't overlap. So okay. I can't remember what it was called, but there was a rogue I could do that. Uh, so one of the archetypes was Skirmisher, where if they moved 10 feet in a round, they automatically got sneak attack damage. And then. Okay. Uh, the other one was, was it called Knife Master, where sneak attack damage from knife attacks all became D8s instead of D6s, but all non-knife sneak attacks became D4s instead of D6s. Uh. And then there was a really great, uh, there was a throwing knife called like something star that was, you could get in Pathfinder uh, with exotic weapon proficiency that had like twice as much range to throw and it had one it it, it had a, a dice higher in damage than a regular knife and so i would take both of those archetypes and i would just like run around the battlefield just throwing these ninja stars doing like <laughs> 1d6 plus 4d8 damage on any hit uh as i as i was running and then with the feet there's a feat that lets you break up your attack into multiple moves. So you can, like, if you have two attacks, you can move, throw, like, attack, move, attack. And I can't remember what it was called. Spring attack, maybe? Sounds. Maybe. This sounds like uh, what a ninja in Naruto would be like, basically. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And that they're, was just... They're, they're all skirmishers, but they're all flashy about it, too. Yeah, yeah. So I would just, you know, kind of rooftop to rooftop, jump over <laughs> the rooftop, throw a couple knives run a little more, throw a couple knives. But it was it was fun stuff like that that uh, I really enjoyed making by just looking at these lists and these having these charts of which class abilities are replaced by certain archetypes and seeing which ones I could smash together. Like mm-hmm. uh, I took a, I did a paladin and I, I made him out. So there's a holy gun archetype where it's, you're, you're, like a, you're like a sheriff, but a paladin sheriff. And then uh, taking the other two archetypes that have bonuses to healing so i was like this ranged gunman but i would stay back and i could like heal everybody really well uh and then shoot bad guys with holy bullets did you ever see the anime sayuki no i journey didn't. to the, so the main character he's a is, is the journey to the u.s journey to the west you know with the monk king oh okay the, yeah yeah it's basically that but the monk is an alcoholic smokes cigarettes has a terrible attitude and he kills kills demons with a gun <laughs> <laughs> okay like, i was like this guy's awesome um yeah but yeah i was just like oh that sounds like the main character from sayuki <laughs> right um yeah no pathfinder just allows for a lot of really cool very specific you know it's 
I think Pathfinder, you kind of get in what you put into it. If you're willing yeah. to sit there and put a lot of time into into reading through, you know, all these, I have them right over here, you know, these 12 books oh of, of character options and classes and uh, expanded options, um, you'll get a lot out of it. But mm-hmm. I I can't say that, you know, you're going to have like a 10 times better experience than playing fifth edition. I think that's my one, if I, if I had to give one negative, it's not really a negative, but one negative point for uh, fifth edition is as written rules as written or raw, there aren't a lot of different character types you can make. Um, Now you can supplement it with backgrounds. You can customize a background. um, You can just kind of reskin something. So, you know, instead of throwing darts, you're throwing bladed cards or you're throwing cards and you just use the dart stat. Um, But there's not really, you know, like a class or a class archetype in fifth edition that would get you gambit. I mean, you can try to make it work with a bard maybe, but it's, it's like really stretching it and you got to kind of reskin. You can keep the stats, you can keep the way that something the effect is, but you kind of just have to reskin it, call it something else in a way if you want to really get that feel. Um, and th- so that's, I, I think that's kind of my one, uh, you know, feedback I would give is, and they're, they're doing a good job at trying to expand on classes. I think the fighter and the wizard have gotten more loves than the other classes, but uh, hopefully they start showing the warlock and the others um, some more love there. My God, I can hear you again. Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm back. Technical difficulties, everybody. Uh, first, first episode, it wouldn't be a first episode without them. Um, yeah, so uh, I really don't remember what train of thought I was on before everything stopped working. So Let's see. I said Wizards of the Coast, Dungeons and Dragons, you need to show some more love for the other archetypes. Stop giving love to fighters and wizards. Granted, they're great. I love them. I want to see the new warlocks. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Warlocks are my favorite thing to play in 5th edition. Um, well, uh, I want to move on to uh, a couple of, uh, well, for me, one honorable mention, Tabletop RPG, for those who uh, probably haven't heard of it. It's it's a pretty weird system um, called the Cipher System. And I've got the the core book right here, actually. The Cipher System. Ooh. Oh yes, I've seen artwork for that before. You can do you can do everything. You can do high fantasy, superheroes, horror, sci-fi. Um, now this is created by Monty Cook who did a lot of work with some D&D stuff back in the day before starting his own uh, kind of company uh, based around this game world called Numenera, which is like, if I remember, it's been a long time since I played Numenera, but I think it's like the, there have been like nine worlds built on top of our world, like nine you know, major rises and falls in civilization. And so a lot of the technology that exists, we, we don't know how it exists and how it works, but we have it. Um, and uh, I want to kind of want to touch back on what you were saying about how, you know, most everything is done with the D20 and then everything else is damage or, or you know, some other little role. Well, let me tell you, Carl, in Numenera, everything is done with the D20. That's it. You don't, you don't need other dice for Numenera. You only need a, a, a D20. You just need one. Um, the system is based on 
a difficulty challenge of one to a, one to 30 with one okay. being very easy and 30 being an impossible task. I was about to say 100 is a little high. Yeah, no, I was I almost said 100 and then I was like nope, it's 30 between 1 and 30. So you you get the your points and you put them into one of your three attributes. I can't quite remember. I think it's gosh, I can't remember exactly what they are. It's been years since I played it. But you have three attributes that are basically strength, agility and health, right? Yeah. And or yeah, I think that's right. And you have, you can, you can improve anything up to plus nine. And then you can modify it with a d20 roll, okay. which means the highest you can possibly get on anything is 29. So, so it, something with a difficulty of 30 is literally an impossible task. There's, there's no way within the game rules to do it. And so the way the game is played is, is you have you have all these kind of traits and attributes, you know, just like in D and D, that you choose kind of what you what you get get your bonuses to, which can eventually go get up to plus nine. Uh, and the 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 cool thing about it is is it's all kind of role play how you want to do it. So, you know, if uh, Carl, if you said, you know, okay, I want to run into this room and do a somersault over the table and kick the the guy in the face. You know, I could I could sit and think about it and think, okay, somersault. Well, okay, you need to make an acrobatics check of, you know, let's say uh, let's say that'd be like nine. You have to you have to beat nine. And uh, you know, so maybe your character already has points in acrobatics and stuff. So this is pretty easy for him. You know, you you breeze through it. Um, and, and that's, it's all really based on this role play of you saying you want to do something and the DM telling you what you have to achieve, what, you know, deciding what the difficulty of that would be realistically. Uh, again, with, you know, anything below 10 is like pretty achievable just because you have a 50-50 shot on a D20 roll anyway. And so if they have anything modifying it, it makes it pretty easy. Um, with you know the the higher towards twenty you get, uh, the more difficult. Uh, with you know twenty nine being the hardest humanly possible thing you could do, before entering the realm of impossibility. Um, the the character creation in the cipher system is also one of the most unique, because it's it's what it is is it's creating a sentence. So you basically put the sentence together of like an adjective noun who verbs and that creates your character. So, you know, you might be a, uh, I was, my first character was a clever Jack who employs magnetism. So clever gave me bonuses to my, uh, like, you know, my, my intellectual stats and my, my mental quickness. Jack described my class, which Jack was kind of like in Numenera, there are three classes. There's Glaive, Jack, and Telepath or something. Um, they, they, the, but, you know, Mage, Rogue, and uh, Melee. And uh, so, uh, or I guess it's, you know, ranged a little bit of both Melee is a better example. And so I was a Jack, so I had a little bit of both, you know, Melee and range. Mm -hmm. um, I had this, you know, my mental abilities were boosted and I employed magnetism. So all of my, so you have these six levels. There are only six levels, 
but each level you get a new ability based on your uh, verb. And so for mine was I employed magnetism. So like, you know, at first level, it was like, you know, I could, I could make minor things move uh, around with magnets. I could, you know, create a uh, magnetic currents and that kind of thing. Uh, and so, you know, one thing I did was like, I, I create, created like an electromagnet out of copper wire and, and a knife and uh, use that to, you know, give me advantages on some things uh, with then, you know, just for an example, the, the highest tier level six for employees magnetism is called, I think it's called diamagnetism, where you have the ability to turn anything magnetic, which you can then manipulate. So you could, you know, You'd, you could ask the DM, you know, what would it take to make this person, you know, what's the check to hit this person and turn him into, into a magnetic being for me to manipulate? And the DM would then tell me what, what that check would be. And then I would make the roll and mm -hmm. see if that happened. And then I could use one of my abilities on him. Uh, all the damages in Numenera are pretty much fixed for weapons and stuff. You know, it's like it does two damage, it does one damage, it does three damage. Um, Numenera really is about wanting they they want you to really think about like how you can apply your unique character in this world uh outside of you just you don't just have a list of spells you know okay very cool very very rp heavy do you have any any cool other systems you want to talk about any anything similar to a you know a tabletop rpg you want to give a so shout out to I'll give two shout outs. One of them is technically an honorable mention. So the honorable mention is made RPG where you literally take on the role of basically an anime made character. You got a specific made type. You're one of two things. Uh, the funniest I've seen was a pure, pure made double pure. There's a positive and a negative to it though. So there's like different adjectives that you get. You can be like a pure sporty or a sporty, uh, gloomy something like that the risk basically adjectives on what type of personality you are but then you have your roots which can be you could you're a vampire <laughs> or okay or you're a, a a soldier or you know your, your roots is your background basically right um, you have a thing you you accumulate stress and when you hit, hit your maximum it's level too of real <laughs> right when you hit your maximum level of stress you have a stress explosion which is an activity you have to do to reduce your stress it can be gambling it can be sleeping it can be eating profusely <laughs> just gorging out on food um, you have a specific maid power like this is just really goofy really funny uh, thing. And kind of the premise of this is that you're a maid who's trying to win the affection of the master. <laughs> um, because of course you are. Because of course you are. Uh, I discovered the system from the, uh, from a, uh, a channel called uh, a series called role play. And they, they did two years of made RPG <laughs> and it was, amazing amazingly hilarious does this maid i'm seeing on the website have devil wings uh maybe is that is that what i'm seeing i just went went to maidrpg.com yes yes she does oh um, it looks like it's oh it's done you can also have like a lolita <laughs> a lolita maid it's it's just 
not to be taken seriously. It's really just for fun, but it has a lot of funny mechanics to it that it, you literally feel like you're a cartoon character. Nice. All right, um, and so what's the what's the other one? The the other one is actually uh, Deadlands. Um, that okay. is a RPG system that I've been actually very interested in because it actually uses a deck of cards to kind of interpret uh, situations and also De- turn order. Deadlands. Deadlands. Um, they actually uh, just released Deadlands Reloaded, um, which I got to see in action from Critical Role's um, additional uh, mini campaign called Undeadwood, which was really uh, cool to watch. Nice. Um, yes, and. So you, you also, each player has a chip that they can uh, cash in, uh, usually at a cost. <laughs> so you can use the chip to get additional details or information that you will only apply to what your character is going to understand to help you make a more informed decision, basically. Uh, Undeadwood is a very Western fantasy um, style of a setting. So... You can have magic and gunslingers with zombies coming out to, you know, duke it out in a quick draw. Um, your turn order also depends on what card you draw. So if you draw like uh, the king, you go before you go before the queen, but the queen goes before the jack. Um, and also, a deck of cards can uh, also determine whether you succeed in casting spells. So spells, all, all the spells usually have a drawback to them. Whether you succeeded or not, there's usually a drawback to them. Um, usually it is, it backfires and suddenly you lose portions of your memory or it backfires and you suddenly become disfigured. It has sort of this love, sort of this uh, Lovecraftian feel when you cast a spell, like it's not always going to be pretty at the end. Right. Have you, are you familiar with Mage the Ascension? I think is what I've, it's called. I've heard of it. Okay. Yeah, it kind of has a thing like that where the more magic that gets cast and like an encounter, like the paradox increase. You have like a, it's been so long since I played it. I'm probably saying this all wrong. Uh, but like there's like, a, there's a higher chance for paradox. And when that happens, just like, like basically the laws of nature are just so like out of whack in this area that shit starts to go bad. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. I kind of like that idea of magic though, where it, you know, it, yeah, I magic too. is powerful. But it is, right. it can it's, come at a cost. It's it's not fully under your control, you know. Yeah. Like, rework the wild, ma- rework wild magic, please in fifth edition. <laughs> Make it more fun. Yeah, no kidding. But, All yeah. right. Dead Deadlands. That's that's, that's that looks really look cool. Um, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'm I'm down with it. Yeah, for sure. So. All right. Well, uh, let's see. Do you have uh, anything else you wanna 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 shout out before we we wrap our our inaugural episode of uh, CNR Geek Out? Uh, you know, if you're intimidated to get into a tabletop RPG, the once you make that first step to just try a game. Go to a local game store, see if they have, well, in these times, go online to a forum, somewhere safe. Uh, I see a lot of places saying, hey, we're looking for players, you know, quick one shot or introductory games. There's a lot of venues out there. If you just want to try and dip your hand into it, a lot of people are using services like Discord and Zoom. 
just give it a try. Give it a try. Um, the biggest thing is try it out once and then figure out what type of, what is the way you want to play the game? And then you'll eventually be able to find the group that works for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also I want to point out, like, it's really weird. Carl and I have never played together. Nope. <laughs> we've, you know, we've taught, we've talked about D and D and Pathfinder and, and role-playing <laughs> games so much. And we have never played one together. We played board games together, but we've never yep. played a tabletop RPG together. So yeah, we we'll need to, to fix that somehow. Yeah, we'll have to fix that at some point. Maybe, <laughs> you know, if if the show is still around by then, we can stream it or something fun. That'll be cool. Yeah. Always wanted maybe, to do. Yeah, we could. We could. Uh, if if we have any listeners, we could. Maybe we could do a uh, like a roll twenty oh. <laughs> uh, game with some of them sometime. Do a one shot. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be neat. Yeah. So uh, yeah, if you uh, hey, if you. If you enjoy this this podcast, you know, keep a lookout. We're going to be releasing more. Um, you can email us at crgeekout at gmail.com. Uh, go ahead and send us questions. Uh, what geeky content would you like to hear about? Um, if you have any recommendations for tabletop RPGs. Um, yeah, I'd love, love to hear all that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not opposed to having like a mail segment of the show either where we we read some mail if you have any good questions and we can answer that. So, yeah, um, yeah but otherwise, uh, stay nerdy, guys. Yeah, geek it out. All right. Have a good night. We are the geeks. In this podcast, every week we bring you a new unsolved or unexplained mystery. That's right. We bring you the facts and educate you on everything mysterious. And here's the best part, guys. At the end of each episode, we solve the mystery. Because that's what we do. Right you are, Cassandra. Now tell them the name of the podcast. The Joe Rogan Experience. What? No, 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 no. That's what it says here. Okay, well, you must have grabbed the wrong script. Uh, Guys, just one second, please. Really sorry about that, guys. So, Cassandra, tell them the name of the podcast. Unsolved Mysteries. Solved? Yeah, that's the one. So if you love mysteries... Hate that they go regularly unsolved. And love to laugh. Join join us every every Saturday Saturday as we we solve solve those mysteries mysteries that have been keeping keeping you up at night. night. Find us on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.